Hallelujah. Glory to God. God is good. Hallelujah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. And the word of God goes like this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives and your sons. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Father, we thank you this morning for the reading of your word. I pray you move me aside this morning and, Lord, that every heart will be open and that you will, your spirit will just flow, God. We know that your presence is here and God, we give you the glory this morning, all the honor, all the praise, all the worship, for you are worthy to receive it all. God, I just pray that you bless the people, bless this time in your word. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray, and all God's people say, amen. 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 You may take your seat here this morning, and I just want to thank God for my salvation. Uh, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know where I'd be, and uh, it's only because of the Lord, what he's done in my life. You know, how many thank God for his life, death, and resurrection? Amen. Um, so God's on the move this morning. He can't sense but to sense that something's taking place within our church. Great things are taking, we're expanding. We're rolling out with new Bible studies. And um, God has great things in store for this church. And how many know we, we serve a great God? I titled this morning's sermon... I love my city. I heart my city. Amen. I love my city. I heart my city. How many of you know we, have, we live in one of the greatest cities of the world, uh, Boston? And, and the recently, in the last 12 years, I, I've been able to travel. I've been able to travel to different conferences, different states. I went to be able to go to Mexico, you know, family vacation and whatnot. And it never ceased to amaze me. Now, when you fly into a city, right, in Mexico, or if they're in Texas, in the East Coast, when you fly in or you drive in, 
How many of you know when you go to, when you see the downtown, when you see uh, the buildings and you're able to, to, there's an awe factor when we see great cities, right? When you're driving into Boston, right? When you're in Harvard Square and you see the beauty of the city or you're flying into New York, you're driving into New York, you're going into Guadalajara, there, there's, a, there's an awe factor in these great cities. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I trip out. When I look at the skyscrapers, I trip out when I see these mass uh, structures and the city lights, amen. I had the chance, you know, here and there I work in the Federal Reserve Bank um, as a food server, you know, here and there. I pick up gigs in the Federal Reserve Bank. In fact, I seen Antonio. Where's Antonio at? He's somewhere. somewhere. I seen him right there. I was like, hey, what's up, my brother? And uh, he was doing business there. I was going to go serve uh, food, and sometimes they send me to the 31st floor. Right on top of that Federal Reserve Bank on the 31st floor, I, I worked there, there at night, I worked there in the day, and, and man, just seeing the city from that vintage point, seeing the mass and just the whole city, man, there's an oddness. I don't know if you ever had a chance to see, you know, uh, uh, the cities, and, and there's something about it where you just, it takes your breath away when you see it. It's like, wow. You know, by default, Israel must have felt this way when they were carried into exile to this great place called Babylon. See, Babylon was ruled by one of the greatest kings that ever ruled the known world. He was considered to be the king of kings amongst men. It was actually studied in the History Channel that this was one of the great wonders of the ancient world, the great city of Babylon. In fact, if you go back, it was where the Tower of Babel was built. Which, which is modern-day Iraq, the great tower where the people gathered together to build to the heavens. Imagine that. They're, they're building a, a structure to go all the way to the heavens, where this was known to be Babylon, with its massive walls, right, great city structures. They, 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 they say that they had gardens on top of the mansions. And, man, you can only imagine when Israel was carried into Babylon, the awe factor of this great city. It was known to be the city of cities. That's how Israel felt, amen, as they went into this great city. A little background of this text is that the people of Israel were a double-minded people. How many know, like, I can relate to Israel. How many know Israel were kind of like the church at times? They were double-minded, rebellious at times. And they rejected the laws of God, the, the stipulations and the decrees that God had that were sometimes drift away from the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. And the byproduct of that, it caused the people, right, to, to, to be cursed. Cursings and bondage and captivity came by a result of disobeying, disobeying God. And this is where Israel was at at the time. They didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't listen to the word of the Lord. The kings and those in power, they rebelled. And they wanted to be like other nations. And they wanted to worship other gods. And they broke the covenant many times. So... So this is where we find ourselves here this morning in this portion of Scripture. Isn't Israel did not listen to the prophets. Instead, they persecuted and killed them when the word of the Lord was spoken before them. When we get to Jeremiah, who prophesied during the last days of the kingdom of Israel, 
he stood there and prophesied about, uh, about King uh, Nebuchadnezzar and how Babylon was going to take over. But he said, Jeremiah told the king that he, they must submit to King Nebuchadnezzar and there was no avoiding the 70 years of captivity coming. After the 70 years, however, Israel will be faithfully restored by God because he will keep his covenant to his people. This is, where, this is where we jump into this morning's scripture. God told them to seek the good of the city. Hmm? He said, seek the good of the city. God originally sent this message through Jeremiah to the people who were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. They expected their exile to be brief, about 70 years, living among the people who destroyed their homes their families, their livelihood, their system of worship. They destroyed the temple. They were captives, and they were forced to move to Babylon. They're in this place, right? Instead of isolating themselves and, and being rebellious against the dominant culture of their captors, God commanded them to engage in social life, to pursue jobs, to get married, to have children, to build homes as exiles. Foreigners, captors, sojourners. One can even say they were pilgrims. They were only there for a season. Exiled both literally and figuratively, this is a common metaphor for God's people. This is a common metaphor for God's people throughout the church and Israel. We're described as aliens, foreigners, sojourners, we're in a land that's not our own. This was true for Abraham going to Canaan, Israel, and Egypt, even the early church in the Roman Empire. And it remains true to this modern day in February 18th, 2024, as a church in a cultural context, it's same applies to us. Just like Israel was, you know, captive right there in Babylon, the church here in this earth, we're just passing by. We're just passing by. Paul writes, it, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. As citizens of heaven, our perspective should change. Our view of life should change from the here and now to the eternal scope of things. Jesus taught his disciples to, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As God's citizens here on earth, he uses his church to accomplish his will. John chapter 15 verse 19 says, if you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. How I many know we're not of this world? We're not of this world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from simple desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. See, Jesus came and he established a new covenant. When he established a new covenant as born-again Christians, we live, right, as co-heirs here on earth with Christ. 
but we're just passing by. We're in transition. This place is not our home, right? The here and now, we're not our own. Sometimes we get too attached to the worlds. We get attached to the here and now. Now, God wants to bless us. God wants to use us. God desires, right, to, to work through us. But definitely as we transition, right, we shouldn't view this place permanently anchored into society. But we should view this place as pilgrimage. We should view here our time on earth just passing by as pilgrims. Come on, say this. Praise the Lord. Praise Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation takes place only when we allow God's word to dominate our thoughts and minds. When our minds are renewed by God's word, we are able to test and approve God's perfect will. We're able to have a paradigm shift. We're able to have a bit different perspective on our lives. See, our lives are not our own. I came to understand that my life is not my own. When I read God's word, when I dive into God's word, I understand that, man, I'm just passing by. There's an assignment that God placed upon my life. I'm able to prove and discern God's perfect will for my life. Man, that God has something for my life. I'm, I'm an instrument. I, I'm a vessel that God wants to work through in this season, in this 70, 80, 90 years of my life. I pray it's 100, right? I pray it's 100. But the purpose of the transformation is for us to be Christ-like. I mean, oh, that's why we emphasize on V-groups. That's why we want everyone to join V-groups. We want everyone to be plugged in to the house of God. We want everyone to, to know that God has a plan for their life. But it only happens when we dig into the truths of the Bible, when we read God's word and we study God's word and we meditate upon God's word, we're able to discover who we really are. Come on, we're not just Mexican. We're not just African-American. We're not just Cape Verdean. We're not just Haitian. We're not from the Caribbeans. We're not Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. Come on, we're Honduras or Colombian. Come on now. Johannes, we're South African. But we're Christians. We're Christians first. I came to understand that my culture as a Mexican, we're prideful, right? I was like, yeah, I'm Mexican. But I came to understand, yeah, I'm Mexican. But first, I'm a Christian. I'm a son of the living God. As a son of the living God. You're a daughter of the most high God. But that revelation only comes when we dig in deep with God. Just like we're not of the world, Israel was not of Babylon. Just like we're not of the world, Israel was not of Babylon. The same challenges and pressures that the Jews faced in those 70 years of captivity Exiled in Babylon are the same challenges and pressures the church faces today in this Babylon-like world. They're a very anti-God. We're living in a time where 
Man, they don't want God in nowhere, in our courts, in our schools. In fact, they're indoctrinating our children that things are not of God. If you go into the city, you see the, the, the pride of man. Just like the Tower of Babel where they declared independence from God. Every city that it traces, it paints independence from God. The power of man. And if we're not careful, right? If the Jews weren't capable, they were faced with the choice to conform to the ways and the customs of that culture, thereby losing their identity as God's chosen people. How many know the enemies after our identity here this morning? How many know we could get lost in the sauce, as they say, right? God promised the covenant people after 70 years, I'll come and restore you. From all the ends of the earth, I'll restore you. I'll bring you back. And how many of God did that in the book of Daniel? He used King Cyrus. Right? In Isaiah 54, I promise scripture, it says, man, he, he was faithful after 70 years to bring him back. That's another Bible study. But how many you know the church, we can become like the world? We can blend in, right, like the world. But the Jews were faced with a decision that they weren't going to bow down to the customs of their day. They were going to continue to seek the Lord with all their heart. How many of you know sometimes we have to repent? Sometimes we have to understand who are we? We are the children of God. See, the Jews faced the same challenges, right, that we face today in our culture, in our day. Therefore, therefore they, could, they, they were in danger of losing their identity. But here today, we got to understand that that's what, that's what the enemy tries to do, to steal your identity. To steal that you are a child of the Most High God. You're, we're children of the Most High God. We're a chosen people, royal priesthood, called out of darkness into his marvelous light to declare the praises of those who set us free. And how many know God's faithful? He set us free. He delivered us. He set us free from, from alcohol, from drugs, from a life of depression, from a life of pain, from a life of anxiety. And he showed us who we are, right? We got a glimpse of who we are. We're the children of the most high God. And we're just passing by. We're just passing by. But this doesn't happen without prayer. Without prayer. See, prayer... Prayer. The Bible says, he told the, the children of Israel, pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray to the Lord for the city. Because if the city prospers, you will prosper as well. Prayer is the key. Nothing happens unless God's people pray. Nothing happens unless God's people pray. There's a quote that I heard from a preacher who says, to get the nations back on its feet, we must fir first get the church down on its knees. To get the nations back on its feet, we must first get the church down on its knees. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And that's Martin Luther King. See, throughout scripture, we see the success, right? We see that prayer brings forth change in the life of people. Prayer brings transformation in the hearts of people. Prayer brings, brings action into the believer's life. 
Nehemiah, when he heard about Jerusalem, he prayed. He fasted and he prayed. And something inside him caused him to act, to go, to rebuild those walls of Jerusalem. He left the comfort zone. He was a cupbearer to the king. He was in a comfortable position because the man of God prayed. He, he was filled with compassion. He was filled with something inside. And he said, I can't just stand around here, but I have to go build. Prayer transforms our hearts here this morning. Jesus, began, being the Son of God, prayed. From eyewitness accounts, we see that he was a man of prayer. The Bible says that he would often withdraw to lonely places and he prayed. He prayed before he chose his disciples. He fasted and prayed before he start, started his public ministry. He was a man that prayed in the mountaintop. Early in the morning, he would separate himself. He would pray. But Jesus was moved by compassion because he prayed. Jesus was moved for, for the multitudes. He, was, he had compassion for the sick. He had compassion to heal. He had compassion for the lost. He had compassion for the crippled. He had compassion for the sinner because he prayed. How do we know prayer births something inside of us? When we God's people pray, it moves us to action. That's why I thank God for the intercessor team that we have. I believe we have Brother Colin and his wife, Brother Sister D. Come on, we have, uh, we have Brother William and Cheryl. We got those who gather together and they pray for the church. Come on now, we got the leadership, our team. We pray for the city of Boston. We're praying for souls. We're praying for a new building. We're praying for the life groups. We're praying for the lost. We're praying for your marriage. We're praying for your children. We're praying for restoration. We're praying for revival. We're praying that God will move in the city. We'll pray for city officials. We're praying. We're praying for the lost. We're praying for Miracle Mile. We're praying. We thank God for Lion of Judah. Lion of Judah is praying. Come on. We're praying for those churches we got together. Revive Boston. There's a group of churches that got together. They pray. That's what's going to change the city. It's prayer. Prayer. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer changed my life. There was a young man in his early 20s, a country preacher from Pennsylvania, who desired to serve God who's itching, and he, he says, I know that God has something for me. So he gave up TV, and he prayed, and he read an article about this murder trial that took place in New York City with these young gang members. And all of a sudden, as he prayed, God filled him with compassion, and he said, I have to do something about it. And he moved from the countryside of Pennsylvania, and he went to, one of these, to New York City, to start a ministry to reach out to the gang members and the drug addicts. Not knowing the vibe, not knowing the culture, this young white man went over there and started preaching, amen, right there in the parks. He started preaching in the city. He started preaching in the neighborhoods about God's love. And one day he encountered this man named Nicky Cruz, a man that grew up in witchcraft, a man that grew up in Puerto Rico, the roughest neighborhoods, and was right there in his early teens in the city of New York. 
He was a crazy gang member full of violence, destined for hell, because there was a man that went to New York City and told about God. He encountered the love of God. <laughs> David Wilkerson was right there in the city. Nikki Cruz says, man, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut you up in 100 pieces. And David said, man, if you cut me up, every single piece will tell me I love you. And God loves you. Man, Nikki Cruz all of a sudden couldn't get that out of his mind. And, and he heard that he had a rally somewhere. And he went. And right there, Nikki Cruz experienced the power of God. A man who was destined to go to hell got touched and transformed. Got married, went to Bible school, became an evangelist. And today, my friend, through six decades, he has reached tens of millions of people all around the world. Because one man prayed. Man, governments seek him out. And not only that, but there was another Italian kid hooked on drugs bound and addicted in the streets of New York. And through Nikki Cruz and David Wilkinson, our founder, Pastor Sonny Argonzoni, got reached by the love of God and God touched his life right there in T-Challenge. The power of God fell and he got set free. He felt the call of God and he went to, you know, California to, to Bible school. He met his beautiful wife, Sister Julie. And all of a sudden, he felt the call to build a church for, for drug addicts and their family. And in 1967, the legacy continues. He, for 15 years, he'll bring in addicts and he'll bring in people into his house, amen, with his children. And he'll preach to them and he'll love them because he was moved with compassion. And there was a whole wave, that first generation, that God rose up to take cities for his glory and his honor, my friend. And then that second wave where Pastor Daddy came in, amen, he came into that wave. And he answered the call. And there's this third wave now. When me and Pastor Spencer were well, the tail end of the second wave, the first and the third wave, I don't know where I fit. Because there's a people that prayed. Now we're all in 30 countries of the world with hundreds of churches. Thousands of people are in our homes right now because a man prayed. The power of prayer. Don't underestimate mother. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Man of God, don't underestimate the power of prayer. There is power in prayer. When I came into the home, they taught me how to pray. And that's why I'm behind this pulpit right now. Because my life's not my own. Because I learned how to pray and seek the face of God for my life. Grateful that God set me free. Lord, let your will be done. See, when we pray... God moves, my friend. The power of prayer. Don't underestimate it. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. That's why we need intercessors to rise up here this morning. We need intercessors to rise up. And we pray for the city of Boston. We pray for the families plagued by drugs and alcohol. We need to pray for the businessman. We need to pray, amen, for, that we can influence the, the spheres of education, amen. We can influence the spheres of business in our city, amen, in the medical field, in our, in our schools, in our workplaces. We need to pray. We need to intercede for the doctors. We need to intercede for those lawyers. We need to intercede for those professors. 
We need to receive for our generation. They're so anti-God in our city. You go to downtown, they don't even want to hear about God. They don't even give you a time and day. I'm like, my God. My God. Doesn't it break your heart sometimes when this generation is just living for the here and now? They're living, they're living to, to, to build up their accolade, to build up their portfolio so they can get, you know, and graduate. And all those things are, are, are good. Trust me, all those things are good. But we got to live for God. When you influence, where has God placed you here? Wherever you're at, your workplace, your environment, your circle of influence. When you pray, pray for our neighbors, pray for our bosses. Come on now. Hello. When you pray here this morning, prayer brings power to live out the life that God has called us to live. That's why we're so effective as a ministry. All right. See, Brother Tony, he was testifying that he used to run the streets in Boston. He used to, wherever the crack was, he was, right? But when Tony stepped into the Puente and he encountered God's love, same experience, I thought, I was thought to say, I was like, man, where am I? I woke up that second day to 17 and 25 guys. Jesus, gee, all these gang members tattooed. I was like, where am I? Man, I felt the same way, Brother Tony. I was like, this is a cult. Man, where am I? But in the midst of that environment, in the midst of that atmosphere, there was a shift, and I sensed the love of God. I sensed the transformative power of God, and I just tapped into the power. That's all I did. I just tapped in. It's the power of God. So when we tap into the power of God, it allows people like Tony, Pastor Danny, who used to be a gang member, prison life. When we tap into the power of God, it doesn't matter where you come, what lifestyle that you came from, but it allows us to live right before God. As the pianos come here this morning, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Going to my last point, the power to witness. The power to witness. See, prayer brings power to witness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to other most parts of the earth. The power to witness. See, we are the chosen instrument, the vessels in which God fulfills his purpose. The purpose of God is for us to shine. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot hide. How many know we have a spiritual responsibility? We have been commissioned by the Lord to go into all the nations. That's why I thank God for Victory Outreach. He said, man, we're going to every major city. We witness the power to witness. The Holy Spirit is a third person, the Holy Trinity. Without his presence in our life, we cannot be effective. Without God's presence in our life, we're not able to live the life that pleases him. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. It changes our heart. It changes 
from the inside out, there's change that takes place. He cleanses us and he washes us and he heals us and he guides us and he protects us. Through the spirit of the living God, we're able to be more Christ-like. Once saved, filled of the Holy Ghost, his spirit takes residence in our hearts. And change begins to take place. See, Jesus promised in the day of Pentecost, he promised the counselor. How many you thank God for the spirit? The counselor in the Greek means the one who is called alongside. In other words, when Jesus says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsaken you, he, 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 he pour out his spirit and his spirit is with us all the time. And the Spirit and Jesus and God are one. So the counselor is there to help us, to strengthen us, to guide us, and to help us personally and to navigate life. How many of you thank God that Jesus helps us and the Spirit enables us to navigate this world, to guide and to counsel and to, to help us in our time of need and our time of stress and Challenging times, we're able to, to draw close to God and he's able to comfort us in those trying times and he's able to, to, to give us strength. Maybe you're facing a, a challenge with your children. Maybe you're, you're facing a challenge in, your, in finances. Maybe you're facing a challenge in your marriage and the Holy Spirit is here with us to, to help you and maybe you're dealing with sickness and God's Holy Spirit is here for the church. His Holy Spirit. He gives us the power to witness. And it's in two parts. The power to witness is telling what Jesus has done for us on a personal experience. That's one purpose. That we're to tell the people what God has done in our lives. He gives us the power to tell people what he's done in our lives. Secondly, it also it allows us to bring this transformation that God did in our lives on display. Jesus indicates to his followers that his followers' behavior, his disciples' behavior will legitimize their message. Paul tells us that the spirit virtues are love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's what attracts the people. That would, that's that's going to win our neighbors. That's how we're going to win our city. When they see something inside of us. And it's the Holy Spirit that takes residence in our life. That's how people are going to change when they see our lives and they see what's taking place and the love that comes out of our lives. And that only happens with communion with the Lord. That only happens when we commune with the Lord here this morning. And ultimately, he, he will guide us in the spirit of truth. The truth in our lives. So when we know God's truths, that knowledge and that truth, it lines ourselves, to, he lines our lives to his will. I don't know where you're at here this morning, and I don't know what you face today, but we're, we're, we're called, the city, we're called to the city Victory Outreach Boston, we're not here just to, 
to reach a neighborhood. We're, we're here to reach the New England area. We're here to reach the East Coast. We're continuing the revival that took place from the first generation, the second generation, the third generation. If you're here in this church, God has called you. If you're here in this church, God has a will for your life. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, God desires to use your life. God desires to use your influence. God desires to use you. So here this morning, I did my best to, to present the word that God gave to me this morning. As we all stand, we're going to spend some time in prayer. We're, we're going to open up the altars. And I pray that you, you, you got something here this morning. And God wants to empower you. God wants to guide you. God, God has a plan for our life. God has a plan for this church. And I pray right now that we'll be able to discern his perfect will. We're able to live such a way and make the days count. And, you know, we're just passing by this world. This world is not our home. And we pray that we can make the most of our time here on earth because God has promised restoration. Just like God promised that he will restore Israel after those 70 years, we look forward to a city where its architect is God. The book of Revelation says that God is going to build a new heaven and a new earth. And that he will be the center of it all. That one day God's going to restore. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no pain. We're going to live with God and dwell with God for eternity. And that one day we're going to give an account for our lives.